You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Hi, I'm Lauren Smith, Education Editor at Campus Review. Today I spoke to Connor King. He's the Executive Director of the Innovative Research Universities, and we spoke about why his organisation opposes the government's higher education package. You wrote that universities will lose $43 million a year by 2021 through the cut to Commonwealth Grant Scheme funding and have at risk a further $79 million a year through their performance proposal and also have at risk $74 million a year from a loss of international students and permanent resident students. So just to begin with, can you briefly outline what the performance proposal is and how it will result in this loss? So the performance proposal is um, to take some of the current money the universities receive and require it to be allocated back to the university if they meet performance requirements. Um, and it's up to seven and a half percent of the funding they receive now from government. So the amount that our estimate there is the whole of that amount because the universities do not know and will not know whether they're going to get it the following year until late the previous year. So what it means is that each October or so they'll get told, okay, you have or haven't met the criteria set down and we don't know what those are yet and against your achievement will give you anywhere from zero to seven and a half percent of the money. So the problem for universities is while we're open to performance type incentives, that's a large lump of money and it's a large lump of money that is already built into universities' operational budgets. Um, And if you can't be confident that you're going to get it more than three months out and every year you go through this process, um, universities have to be more cautious in their budgeting and and be ready and able to cope with if they didn't get the whole of that money back. So that makes a big challenge for them, uh, which, which really distracts from the whole issue of can universities keep getting that much better at ensuring their students are well educated and complete their degrees. And by performance, are they referring to research output or, or is, it, is that part of the criteria that you said is unknown at this point? It's unknown, but I think it'd be fair to say it clearly will be about student progression, retention and completion and student satisfaction um, and, and possibly graduate outcomes. It wouldn't, it's not about research. So it is certainly about the teaching education role of universities. So whatever the indicators end up being, will be about, it'll have that focus. But beyond that, that's as much as we do know. Um, and there are many issues there about which indicators, whether the same for each university, um, how they're set, because each university has different contexts, different groups of students, different historical achievement against some of the measures that can be used. Um, and you also have to think about the implications and incentives that you create. You know, for a simple example, if you focus too much on students passing units, then that creates a bit of extra incentive to make sure students pass units and you don't want to be distorting marking practice. So you have to think through those implications. The other issue that we see with the whole thing is, because it's coming out of current money um, and a, a largest element, is that a student who enrolls, say, next year um, will then 
could discover that their university the following year is going to have less money to educate them and that had nothing to do with their education so far because it will be based on probably things that have happened in 2015 and 2016 um, and they would have less money then been spent on them compared with a student with a similar course at a nearby university, which may have achieved its targets. So there are a lot of things to work through about how to create a reasonable incentive for universities to keep focused on student outcomes, um, but not do it in such a way that their whole, that, that they focus intensely on the financial risk and the financial um, sustainability of the organisation, and hence pull back from hiring more staff um, and then, as um, our chair, Colin Stilling, has said, it actually puts more pressure on again to expand the number of casual staff because that makes it a bit easier to um, adjust your, your expenditure if you need to. So on to the second point of uh, risking losing $74 million a year through a loss of international and permanent resident students. Can you explain why this might happen? Okay, so I need to correct what you're saying there. It's a loss of New Zealand students um, and permanent residents. So these are not international students in a standard sense. Um, they are students who right now are funded through more like an Australian student. The only difference being that they don't access HEX help. So students, those students have to pay that amount up front, but they get the government support for them. Now the proposal from the government is to remove the government support and have the students pay the full cost of their education at whatever level the university sets, um, but be able to access fee help to, to cover the upfront costs. So they don't have to put the money down upfront, but the, the debt they incur would be much larger than they're currently um, paying. Um, so again, it's no one really has a good idea what such students are likely to do in the future. Um, and the estimate that that figure is based around all of those students. Again, it's an amount of money that is suddenly at risk because people in that category may choose not to enrol um, because the, the amount they'll be incurring will be much larger than they would currently be up for. Um, and we just simply don't know what the impact will be. <clears throat> and it must also put at risk some of the arrangements in, in New Zealand, but there are a number of Australians, several thousand, who study in New Zealand uh, and get some kind of equal treatment from the New Zealand government. So it seems a fairly uh, more nasty kind of change to save some money and save quite a large amount of money when the better option would be using the international agreements that are now in place to actually extend the help system to those students and be able to, especially the New Zealanders, they went back to New Zealand, the New Zealand government, I think, would quite quickly cooperate on ensuring they pay back that money because their New Zealanders have similar loans in the New Zealand scheme. If they came here, uh, the Australian government is happy to make sure they pay back as well. And you also talk about the ratio of university revenue to expenditure and the fact that that has fallen from 13% in 2010 to 5% in 2015. Can you elaborate on this and why it's of concern? Okay. So what we're tracking there is the, the annual surpluses that the IIU universities are achieving. And um, so at the beginning of that period, it was at a, at a good high of 13% and it's drifted backwards to five. Now, surplus, and this is important almost for most students and um, staff to get on top of, 
the surplus doesn't disappear. Um, the surplus is money that then is used to invest in the facilities and resources in the university, because that's, which is in accounting terms considered capital expenditure, and you have to use the surplus to pay for that. Um, so they're not the non-profit organisations. All the money is eventually used, but that's what the surplus is for. So the reducing surplus is an indicator of the challenge universities are having to. Um, cover all the things that they need to do and to especially to reinvest in renewing the, the buildings. Many IIU universities have buildings that are 50 years old, um, so the shell might be useful, but inside you need to rework them and and what and they have been doing that over the last four or five years and they've been doing it by using the generating the funds they can from services to do that. Um, but that shows that the universities aren't having an easy go of it. They have to find that and have been squeezing where they can teaching expenditure, which the government has kind of highlighted as a positive. And, but it's showing how universities have grappled with the challenge of how to keep teaching, how to keep renewing facilities, putting in the new computer equipment, the things that, and the, the, that students expect to have there um, so that um, the education works to the best effect for those students. You go on to state that Simon Birmingham's claim that per head student funding has risen is incorrect. Can you explain this viewpoint? Okay, so this is complicated. And I was more in some way just simply puzzled by what, what policy, what university activity has changed that would lead to the average funding per student to actually rise in its in its value and so in the note i explore through various things and, and struggle to find them the, the basic funding is paid by discipline about by the government amount by the student and those two essentially stayed the same since 2010. all that happens is there's an indexation which is meant to almost maintain the, the purchase value of of that money and i say almost because there's a slight element that intentionally discounts for that so in theory that should be getting a little bit less value per student there um, i looked at the way in which universities have responded to demand driven funding by enrolling more students in science areas technology and in health areas and they're slightly more they're more costly than say humanities or accounting or law students and that and i showed that that pushes up the the average the apparent average but for a university, if you have more engineers, you need the money for those engineers. You can't just, um, the average, the money that you use on an accounting student is, is meant to be a bit less. So I'm struggling to see where there's a real, in a sense that Birmingham's trying to say that we have more funds available to us to educate the students. Um, and his figures are expressed in 2017 values. So they've taken the 2010 figure and they've adjusted it to say, what would that be in 2017 dollars? That's a reasonable thing to do, but how they've done it isn't made clear. Um, and my the only conclusion I can really come to is that the fact that they're chosen actually is less lower than the index that they've been using. And the index is meant to be a reasonable adjustment for university reflecting university cost increases with a slight efficiency built in. So that's why I find it hard to take his figures seriously. And part of the evidence of that is you look at his figures, they go up one year, they go down another year, they go up a couple of years and they go down again. Um, so there's nothing in there about that seems consistent with university practice or government policy change. You go on to compare 
the government's funding plan to that of England, which seemingly so actually increased the per-student funding? Yes. So in England, the amount that students have paid has undoubtedly gone up in big lumps. It went to £3,000 and then it climbed uh, to 9000 for many, somewhere between six and nine, um, and most now are around about 9000 that's some that's big increases and students have their views upon whether they should be paying those amounts but at least as you can see from that chart the english universities have actually held on to most of that money so the students are paying more but getting more invested in them uh, and the contrast for us is that uh, at best when government puts up the charge to students they reduce their by the same amount or as the current proposal um, in fact the universities will have even less to teach students who, who will be paying that, that much more over the next four or five years if the government proposal succeeds so so the english point is just a comparator of how another country has has saved its government expenditure but at least um, allowed the universities the kind of revenue they need to educate their students well so given all of this does the iru have a proposal that's an alternative to the government's funding plan? Uh, well, we provided um, some, uh, yeah, a, a suite of suggestions in response to the discussion paper last year. Um, and some of those explored the potential for uh, some increase in the student charge, but in a way that universities would actually retain most of the gain, um, most of the extra, and the government could save a little bit. Um, we also point out the fact that there are three bands of student charges right now um, and we've pointed out for some years that accountants and business students are at the highest band and many other students are lower than that. So uh, without increasing the total, the, the highest amount that anyone is paying, there seems some flexibility to bring other students up to that amount um, on simply the basis of what you're paying for is your degree and the outcomes that come from that, which are fairly uh, unpredictable by individual, even if you can do some broad averaging assertions. So there's scope within the current system to moderate that. That would potentially allow the government to save some money, which and we understand that's pressure for it, but our main interest is that universities need the revenue, the necessary revenue to teach and educate their students properly. Um, and so we've explored ways to do that. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I'll go back and have a look and find that. Um, I'm sure we covered that last year, so I'll provide a Probably, link to that. Uh, and Joe could easily flick it to you from our website. And actually, it's almost restated. Beginning of the year, we would have put it into our pre-budget submission to the government. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time. Okay, that's good.